Fantasy-animation.org is a website with a difference. It is not-for-profit and it's run entirely by academics and professional animators. And this means that whether you are reading our latest blog or accessing our latest podcast, thanks for downloading by the way, you can be sure that you are getting the most up-to-date and informed commentary on the colliding worlds of fantasy storytelling and the medium of animation. Whether you are a budding animator yourself, a student of fantasy or animation, or just someone who wants to learn more about the history and theory behind these overlapping media, mediums and genres, why not find out more at fantasy-animation.org or subscribe to our various social media threads on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Reddit, at fananimresearch, F-A-N-A-N-I-M research. While you're at it, subscribe to the podcast, give us a star rating and better yet, a quick written review as well. It all helps to make the visibility of our project even stronger and attract more like-minded people like yourself to our growing network of fans. For now, do enjoy the show. Hello listeners, welcome to the latest episode of the Fantasy Animation Podcast with me, Chris Holiday, And me, Alex Sargent. So I guess today's episode marks the meeting point of two things that we've talked about already. We've done a bit of Japanese animation in various guises, we've done some stop motion and some monster movies, and now this is a chance to, to sort of uh, look at the overlap between these two fields by looking at Mothra, uh, a Japanese kaiju film directed by Ishiro Honda. So um, think in the vein of Godzilla, um, Alex and I are fresh from the, fresh from the screening, um, um, and I think from my perspective, perhaps a little bit of a challenge to think about it in relation to, to animation, but, you know, what is this podcast if not trying to get my animation passions sure. into, into, into film, things into they, things. Yeah. Um, so I've got a few notes about kind of scale and perspective in animation and actually fantasy, you know, yeah. what, why, why are we going to Alice in Wonderland and Tom Thumb and all this kind of, you know, playing with scale and perspective, yeah. which I think is important. Um, obviously, there's a bunch of effects uh, or things that you would kind of class as visual effects close to animation, so things like certain kinds of superimpositions, back projection, lots of models and miniatures, uh, and I think kind of more broadly the role of the monster as allegory, I think, which kind of crops up both in fantasy and, and animation. Yeah. So, um, Alex, um, tell me about fantasy. Yeah, yeah we, you know, we can talk about lots of things today. We might talk about the, the monster, the role of the monster, uh, Japanese, the, the kaiju movie and Japanese yes. yep, yep. allegories of modernity. We've talked a little bit on the podcast before when we've done other anime movies about kind of the conflicted notion of modernity that often plays out in these sort of supernatural uh, fables or, or, or disaster spectacles or whatever they are. Um, and yeah, it's a giant moth, Chris. What all do you want? Like, you know. Yeah, well, um. yeah, well at some point, it, well, it's not, but that's the thing, it's, 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 yeah, sure. it starts as a caterpillar. Let's not, let's not, sure. let's not erase that. Um, but it won't just be, be well, I was going to say, it won't just be Alex and I. There are two Alexes in the room. Um, joining us as a very special guest for this episode on Mothra is Alex Davidson, who is a cinema curator at The Barbican. Um, um, the Barbican connection will be 
will be particularly important to, to Mothra because Mothra itself is going to be part of the Barbican's outdoor screening program on the Sculpture Court, along with a couple of other films, uh, Princess Mononoke and Fantastic Planet, amongst others, um, in August. So we're really uh, thrilled to have uh, Alex here. Um, Alex is also a former curator at the BFI National Archive. He's written for a number of film publications, um, uh, both at the BFI and beyond. And if you get a chance to have a look at his his work, there's a number of really interesting articles that's kind of circulate around kind of queer cinema and television. I think we can also do a little bit of a queer reading potentially of, of, of Mothra as well. So Alex, thank you so much for um, kind of coming out of the London sunshine and into a recording room to talk to us about Mothra. It's my pleasure. I never need an excuse to talk about Mothra, so thanks for inviting per me. You're the perfect guest. You're the perfect guest. So I know that Alex is curious yeah. is, with regards to, to, to why Mothra. So. Well, yeah, I was just thinking, because so this is part, we, the reason we decided to do this is it's part of the screening series of the Barbican, so mm-hmm. which you've curated. So it'd be interesting to hear I guess to start us off, what, why, you know, I'm thinking Barbican, I'm imagining the meeting you're all in, you know, we're, 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 we're coming out of the pandemic, people are coming back to large events, where hopefully it's going to be sunny, there's going to be pims. Let's put, let's <laughs> it's put, Wimbledon it's apparently. Wimbledon apparently, <laughs> let's put a giant moth on the screen. So, so why, why Mothra, of, of all the places to go to as a, as a fun summer spect- spectacle for, for the audiences to enjoy? Well, I've, I, there are a million reasons I've wanted to uh, show Mothra at the Barbican uh, in our cinemas. Um, and <laughs> when we were considering which films might work particularly well outside on this enormous screen with this huge sculpture court, Mothra just seemed like a really good fit. And there seemed to, it seemed to be the right film for the right time. And it's such a, for anyone who's seen the film, it's such an outdoors film. There are so many beautiful <laughs> external scenes, albeit in the rainforest, albeit mm-hmm. in, uh, on the sea, on the yep. ocean, albeit uh, in Tokyo. Yep. And so these different scapes I just thought would look amazing on the big screen. And there aren't, it's actually very hard to program uh, kaiju films, uh, kaiju ega films, these strange beast films, is they, how they roughly so, translate. Yeah, I was going to ask you about, about that. That's a good. I'm going to interject with a kaiju. What, tell listeners for those who are perhaps unfamiliar, kaiju mm. films. So kaiju films were uh, in Britain. They're normally, or in the West, they're normally seen as the giant monster films, which isn't quite right. They're called sort of strange beast films. It's how they roughly translate. And I think the most famous one would be Godzilla, who yep. first appeared in 1954. And then there were other uh, beasts that appeared, uh, including Ghidorah, the three-headed monster, uh, Rodan, this giant pterodactyl figure, and Mothra. Yeah. And the kaiju is quite a broad term. I mean, and I've seen some people call King Kong a kaiju, um, not, not just the Japanese version of King Kong, of which there is one, but also the, the original 1933 one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not how my definition would work. I think it has to be sort of situated in this, this East Asian context, okay. uh, for me, personally. Yeah. And uh, these are films that I think have had quite a lot of derision over the years. I think on the Mystery Science Theatre, uh, th- these films uh, program, uh, these are often mercilessly uh, taken the, the mick out of. Yes. Um, and I feel this is very undeserved, and I feel there are some, there are some very bad films <laughs> made yeah. under this genre, but there are some absolutely fantastic ones, and I think Mothra is one of them. And this just seemed a really, really great opportunity. And the reason I said it's hard to program yeah. is a matter of rights, is uh, these are often um, very expensive to program or very hard to track down the rights holder. And um, in this case, this one we managed to clear, and it was it is one of the best films, so it just seemed like a really yeah. perfect one to show. What, what, why are this is exactly the sort of question this podcast is for? Why are the rights complicated on these sort of films? I think I know the answer in terms of the international uh, sort of 
uh, murkiness of some of these productions. To be honest, I'm not sure we've all seen the, the same movie, or you've probably seen all the versions of this movie that exist, but we ended up, through a last-minute technical hitch, having to watch the English-dubbed version. Okay. Um, <coughs> but I know there are other lots of different yeah. versions out there. So is that why the rights are a problem? Because it's passed around, or is it just these companies have folded since they made the movies, or is it...? It's case by case. I mean, sometimes you know the rights holder, but and this doesn't just apply to kaiju films, this is any film. I mean, there are loads of films I'd love to show at the Barbican, and you just can't, either because you don't know who the rights holder is, or they're too expensive, and there is no room for negotiation on fee. Uh, with the kaiju films, there are a limited number that you can clear through a UK company called Park Circus, which is how we did this. They also had the rights to Destroy All Monsters, which is one of the sort of mega monster rumble films in the 1960s. Um, and it's wonderful that Mothra is one of the few that are available, because it is one of the very best ones but yes it's a sort of the, the right situation there's never a sort of blanket answer for that it's somehow you, you get bogged down a lot of admin and uh, you want to show it from the best possible material and the, those mm. materials aren't always there uh, so yeah it's, it's a it's, tricky one it's an interesting <laughs> thing yeah. to think about actually I don't think about it very often but like you know, if you're talking about films that are remembered or films that are known within the kind of public zeitgeist, if we take London as a kind of insular film community, it's it's places like the Barbican and what you show or the mm. BFI, all these other kind of important cultural spaces that film fans will look to to kind of build a sense of what, you know, the dreaded canon is, right, you know? Mm. So it's interesting that some of the, the things that might affect that are actually just the, the nitty-gritty of what's expensive, what's not expensive, where can we track down the rights and stuff like that. It can be, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think going back to the kind of, the, the awareness of these kaiju films in the UK, I mean, some of them are familiar because, I mean, Criterion have just released, or I say just, it was a couple of years ago now, uh, a number of the f Godzilla films yeah. um, on Blu-ray, but that doesn't mean that you can clear them for the cinema. And I think uh, Mothra has only very recently appeared um, on home video. For a long, long time, this is a very, very hard film to see. In fact, the first time I saw it, this was back in the 90s, yeah, it would have been 90s. Right. I managed to track down some US uh, VHS NTSC mm -hmm. thing, which I've still got at home, actually, because I love the film. I'd never be able to play it. And yeah, nor would yeah, I, yeah. I've got blue so the point, though, is it? you got the thing, the got object. the thing, the object. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But, um, Physical media. <laughs> <laughs> But I think there is a lot of, um, there isn't a lack of familiarity among these, uh, about these films and um, why they're great or why the best ones are great and why Mothra is fantastic. And there's actually a very limited number of people in the West who are writing about these films and taking them seriously. When you listen to some of the Blu-ray commentaries or DVD commentaries of the, uh, some of the kaiju films, I mean, there are, uh, there are experts such as Steve Rifle and Ed Gojczewski um, who are very well-known figures in this. They've written some very good books on this. In fact, one of their books was one of the reasons I first got into the kaiju right. genre in, in the first place back in the 90s. But sometimes when it's someone else talking about it and you listen to the commentary, it's very jokey. It's laughing at the special effects. It's almost like they're, they're as I say, mystery science theatre. It's almost like they're commenting along at the inadequacies of some of the weaker films rather than pointing out about what makes the stronger mm. films very special. And the invention of these films... Sorry, I'm just throwing everything at no, you. It's no, I've got, it's I'm, just I'm writing as you're talking because <laughs> I've got but things yeah. I want to ask you and say. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's very easy to... I mean, Mothra, it's, I think, is one of the most inventive of all the kaiju films, and that's why it excites me, and that's why I'm so thrilled to be able to show it on this big screen at the Barbican in Terrific. August. Superb. Yeah, well, so you said that you got into the kaiju through this, the, these um, writers. Um, so it's a genre that's... or cycle or series of films that's popular in the 50s? 50s, 60s? I'm sorry, my question is kind of... Why? Because I, I don't know too much about the kind of allegorical nature okay. of these films, but my feeling, or, or from what I have, what I do know, that they kind of involve an important political function, which maybe anticipates the political function that it has today in 2022 when we watch it 
for exactly the reasons you said. You want it, it seems like the perfect film to kind of. So I just wondered, in terms mm. of the kaiju as a genre, what what's it doing politically? Sure. Well, they, they sort of kicked. I mean, the first Godzilla film was 1954. Now there have been many, 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 many kaiju films made over the decades. They're still being made today. <laughs> oh right. But, but go oh, back okay. to, oh yeah, 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 loads of them. I mean, they okay. go straight right up. But um, but the 1954 Godzilla. I think you have to understand this film, and this applies to Mothra as well. Is is this was a film? Made, Godzilla was a film made less than a decade after a country that had two nuclear bombs dropped on it, and. Mm. Um, and the trauma that came out of that led to the creation of this uh, this beast that is awakened through nuclear testing. Right. And the first Godzilla film is actually it's almost a horror film. It's a sci-fi film and it's a fantasy film, but it's a horror film. It's some very, very upsetting moments in that film, like mothers cradling their children about to die, saying, we're about to see your daddy again, who by implication died in the war. It's very, very Funny. bleak. No, no, no. Mm. And uh, the first Godzilla, there's nothing... I mean, I'm talking about the original Japanese version yeah, here. Yeah, now, yeah. Then there was a Raymond Burr kind of re... Edit, I don't know, reimagining almost yeah. using some of the old footage, and it's a, a rather clunky version. It's not without merit, but it's it's what it is. Yeah. Um, and there's elements of this with with Mothra as well as radiation, and um, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a big theme right from the beginning, and the wickedness of uh, this land, which is a thinly veiled. Uh, version of America oh, and yes. it's called uh, Rolisica. Yes, yeah. I had to look that up during the film because I thought I mean my geography is, geography is, so my geography is <laughs> terrible. <laughs> mm. um, yes, we can we can talk about well, that. It's, it's America and Russia, I'm well, assuming. It's it's Soviet Soviet Union, Union. It, is, it is America and the but Soviet it's America. Union. It's America. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's very white and very yeah. military yeah. and yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the attack at the end is on a place called New Kirk City or yeah. it's obviously New York City. Rings when you actually, yeah, it sounds very familiar. It's not doesn't sound like Moscow. But but yes, it's that there is that um, that, that wariness of the West and the, the evils of the, the sort of extreme capitalism mm -hmm. that comes up through through Mothra um, and Fantasy Island and the the islanders are seen as this this utopia actually and they save one of the opening scenes of Mothra is these sailors being washed ashore in a nuclear area and uh, that people are astonished when they find out they haven't been contaminated and it's because they've been given this this juice I think of the mm -hmm. that the islanders have given them so that they are the benevolent force whereas the evil um, America uh, comes and plunders the island steals two of the main characters who I'm sure we'll get into in a moment and uh, mm -hmm. provokes the rampage at the end so that context I think is very key to understanding where these films came from Right, so I mean, because the, yeah, the film starts with two, I was like, okay, yeah, having seen the original Godzilla and being a massive fan of it, and, and for all the reasons you've already said, Alex, um, when this film begins with a typhoon and then starts evoking nuclear testing, I was like, oh, right, environment, nuclear, uh, nuclear um, you know, uh, energy, I'm there, fine. And then, actually, the film, whilst that's still being part of the story, actually, as you say, seems a much more kind of allegory of an anti-capitalist mm, or, or at least mm -hmm. a weariness of, of the excesses of, of capitalism sort of in in the story so uh, is, is is that's what's happened since you know if, if Godzilla is a story um, about um, about nuclear warfare mm. um, and, and and the kind of the militaristic damage of American uh, power this is a story about the kind of I don't know cultural damage of 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 soft economic power. It's a story about the, you know, 
is, is that how we how how it's been read or how you at least I've read certainly it? I've certainly seen many readings like yeah. that, that that would correspond to a lot of what you're saying and also this idea of meddling with nature as well as the mm. the damage that the, the, the natural world which is also there in Mothra a bit but yes I think it, you're right I think it's that idea of the the capitalist greed that yeah. is infiltrating this utopia and this pure, beautiful land and um, and destroying the imbalance there as well. I mean, one thing I find, I, I, I envy audiences who saw Mothra in 1960, because when they first saw it, they didn't know if Mothra was a, a good character, a bad character, mm. an ambiguous character. They didn't know if Mothra was going to survive the film. They didn't know anything about it. In fact, a lot of the publicity was very shy about showing um, Mothra. It was much more about the... I mean, I feel I have to bring them up now. The yeah. the, the two priestesses of, of Mothra, sure. uh, played by a, a duo called the Peanuts, um, who are these performing singers. So when they first saw it, they didn't know much about Mothra. And it's even when you're watching it, you don't you it's but you don't know how this is going to end. I actually mm -hmm. thought I think a lot of audiences might have thought she might have died at the end because this is what normally happens at the end of giant monster movies. Yeah, King yeah. Kong dies, Godzilla dies, uh, Rodan dies a horrible. Well, two Rodan creatures die a horrible, burning death at the end of the, their film. It's quite horrific. Mm. And at the ending of Mothra, not only does she survive, she's waved off with everyone going, bye Mothra, and yeah. um, she will return, as we'll know. <laughs> but in all the following Mothra films, uh, you know she's more of a benevolent force, and in fact unites uh, with humanity to destroy the threats of Godzilla. And, um, and in the end, one of the later films, Gidra the Three-Headed Monster, actually encourages Godzilla and, King and Rodan to unite and fight against this, uh, this peril which is threatening humanity. But in the original one, she's much more ambiguous. She is less uh, benevolent, let's say. Yeah. Um, and yes, that well, I find a, very interesting. Obviously, the, the narrative is about revenge, and there's a ve or, or at least um, there is a, a vengeful force. She is a vengeful force because she is... Saving um, these two, uh, how are they? The, the two fairies, I think yeah, it's the, the stage act, isn't it? And I know it was this based on a short, a short graphic story called something like the Two Fairies and Mothra, or or, yeah. or at least, or did that kind of, either that came after or that came before? I, I can't remember from from the primitive research I did on this. Um, but yes, yeah, so you've got the so that the, he's he sorry she is saving. Um, these 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 women from from the kind of um, yeah I guess what's for a want of a better word the imperialist kind of forces mm -hmm. that have that have taken them and exploited them as a stage show act which has got to be a riff on well it seems to be a riff on King Kong yeah. mm. like in that in that taking the monster or taking the, the the captured primitive back from from the island and using it as a kind of circus act but but that's all done in Act One of this movie as opposed to kind yeah, of Act yeah. One yeah. and Two in, in, in King Kong. I mean yes, it, I mean the story which I which I haven't I'm very familiar with is called right. the Glowing Fairies and Mothra. Okay, um, right, right, right. and. There's definitely a lot of King Kong in this film, I think. Mm -hmm. um, though actually, it's not Mothra herself who is kidnapped, and mm -hmm. uh, but there is uh, this idea of going to a fa a another island yeah, and yeah. taking something back into a world they are not meant. It is not meant to exist in. Um, there's also a slightly problematic uh, depiction of the indigenous islanders, I think, sure, but, um, much more in King Kong than in Mothra, <coughs> actually. But it is there, unfortunately, yeah. in Mothra too, which speaks of its time. But yes, whether it's revenge or whether it's rampage, it's hard yeah. to say. I mean, I think what, one of the things I think, because earlier you said she appears in two different forms. She actually appears in three different forms. She appears as an egg. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not the most exciting of her three forms, it's true. <laughs> and it's like, it doesn't even look like a moth egg. It's like a big duck egg, actually. It's beautiful, sure. sort of light blue egg. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then hatches into this caterpillar, um, which is uh, such a very odd-looking beast. Um, which actually has a lot more agency. This, this this form of Mothra appears in some of the later films as well, and is actually in its own right a fighting machine. Um, in 
this first Mothra, it's there just as a sort of bridge between egg and moth. Uh, though it does survive a nuclear, no, not a nuclear, it survives a, a napalm attack, uh -huh. doesn't it, in the ocean. Uh, and then Mothra, in the end, caused a lot of destruction. And But I think it is a sort of mindless, not mindless, it's not mindless at all, but a very desperate rampage to find out what has happened to the, her, two, um, her two priestesses. Mm. Yeah. I think another thing I find very interesting about these two priestess characters is, is we've talked about Mothra being um, ambiguous in terms of good or bad. I think they're quite ambiguous as well, because when you first see them, they seem very, well, like, they play it as quite cute, yep. and they sing, and they, they speak in unison, and they're quite, they're, they are the nearest the film comes to kitsch, I think. Um, and they seem very benevolent, and they actually save one of the characters from being eaten by this vampiric plant. There's so many good scenes in Mothra, mm. um, <laughs> and so much uh, threat. But actually, later on, they, they summon Mothra through singing this beautiful, I think it is a very beautiful song, Mothra, Mothra. Yeah. Um, and then people say, well, can you stop Mothra from coming? You've awakened her. And they said, basically, sorry, uh, good people are sure to die. Yeah. That, what can I do? I can't do anything else. So we've summoned them now. Like, in these Mothra's coming to <laughs> wreak destruction. Yeah. They don't try and save uh, yeah. New Kirk City at all. And they're very aware of what they're doing when they do that summoning. So I quite like that. It's yeah. the uh, yes, that sort of ruthlessness, um, albeit uh, as, a, as for self-protection. Yeah, yeah I, I think I think that kind of that flavour that you're introducing, I think, is is perhaps what I'd love to tease out of the movie because I think that kind of this is an anti-capitalist allegory mm. reading is, is fine to an extent but I actually think it's more kind of as most kind of popular films are it's more kind of place where all these contradictions and and uh, you know uh, uh, binarisms are kind of thrown together and then the audience there's lots to play with in this movie in terms mm. of like, like like that question for example you're quite right and there's this distinction that the, that the between the kind of the good characters we're your friends mm. and they go oh great you're our friends but, the, but their relationship is very strange because like they, they they are friendly in demeanor but as you say cause rampage and, and destruction and don't seem particularly apologetic or concerned about that should they be given the no. kind of cultural um, uh, you know uh, what's the right word for it really the cultural exploitation yeah, yeah. to call it mild put it mildly of what they're doing to, to their culture so like there's a mm. there's a kind of angriness to their politeness that, that that's there and then I think that's also true of the kind of just the general way in which the film interacts with kind of the forces of modernity the forces of capitalism our heroes are our journalists and diplomats and things like that mm -hmm. you know a kind of gentry middle-class Japanese office you know the, the Japanese office class that's sort of emerging at this time mm. are our heroes and 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 the villains, yes, they're capitalists, but they're kind of gangsters more than mm. they are um, anything else. So, yeah, it, it's a film with full of these kind of contradictions that you can kind of tease through and, and work through. And, and I think the biggest one of all we can talk about this now, we can come back to it, is... Is is your as you're right? You're like you know nature's sort of there, but not really. But then of course it's a giant moth, so nature's absolutely imprinted onto the kind of basic spectacle, the basic design of all these movies. And that you know at basic level they are small creatures blown up to massive size, wreaking havoc on urban sites. Right? I completely. I mean, I think one of the <laughs> that's what, when you were talking, it suddenly triggered me. I mean, the thing with Mothra is when you first see Mothra in moth form, and I'm going to choose my word carefully, she almost looks cute. Mm. Like, especially compared to Godzilla or Rodan or some of the other kaiju, she's not a terrifying reptile. She's this very very beautiful, yeah. more like a butterfly than she is a moth in some, <clears throat> yeah. in some scenes. And when she uh, makes her animal noise, it's this sort of slightly endearing squeak rather than this roar of vengeance. But when she's actually in the air and um, 
flying around. She causes all manner of distraction, uh, destruction. Um, buildings collapse, people die, people scream. When she's in cat- caterpillar form, she destroys a dam, nearly dr- drowns a baby. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh, there's a much more sort of sinisterness, and this uh, it's it, it, what starts as what could look like a sort of disnified mm. character turns into something much more wild and much more interesting and exciting. Mm. And I think that's uh, I think that's one of the interesting things about Mothra as well. Another thing with Mothra, and this is a bit of a cheat really, because I don't think it works in the original Japanese, is that it sounds a bit like mother, and I think she is a very mothery feature. Mm. I, I don't know if I believe what I'm about to say, because I was sort of thinking the other day, could I sort of make an allegory between this and aliens in some ways, <laughs> where she is both uh, Ripley and the alien, and that she is uh, a force of destruction, but she's also desperately trying to save um, her her guardian, the, 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 two, the two young, the women who rely on her in the same way that Ripley tries to save Newt in Aliens. I don't think it quite works, but mm-hmm. I thought I'd play around with That's that good. as an idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. no, I'm just, uh, yeah, so, okay, so we've got Hollywood, Hollywood cinema as well as kind of Japanese cinema, Hollywood cinema continually returning to the figure of the, to, to, the, to the monster and playing in the way that, that you mentioned some of the, the kind of Godzilla, or kind of the crossovers where you have these character, these monsters meeting each other. Mm. So Hollywood often, you know, has often turned to the monster for very various reasons, and often it's been used as a sort of symbol to talk about Hollywood as a system, you know, block, the blockbuster. Monsters, I think Jeff King kind of argues that these are monster movies, but often monsters of a movie. So mm. they are they are big and epic in all kinds of ways. They but they're also monster. Mo- the monster becomes this kind of symbol of all of the kind of capitalist structures that have supported, financed, uh, and been put into the film. So the, the the blockbuster is by definition a monster in the broadest sense of the term movie. Um, so I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about that in relation to. Yes, we often, and as you were saying about the, the kaiju genre, this this notion that these films are, you could argue, are, are, use the monster to work through trauma, kind of collective trauma, national trauma, cultural trauma, um, uh, because we have, you know, awake characters that are, monsters that are awakened, I think you said, through nuclear testing. But it's interesting that, yes, the monster and the monster movie is, is allegorical um, or political, but actually the monsters often don't appear in their fully realised form it's all about the anticipation, or the mm. or the lead, or the lead in, or the and you often get just like a foot, or you get and then you get the big reveal. So I was trying to think about Mothrim whether that whether that fits that template because it it's not in every scene. It's not the quote unquote protagonist, but it's a sort of it. It felt like it was there was a bit more of a journey, like because of the fact it was a moth transforming and changing, and as you said, from these three kinds of states, you get the build up, you get the spectacle, and then you get the destruction. But I, so I kind of agree that the monster movie is often used in these contexts to, to do politics and to do trauma. But this this film spends an awful lot of time not focused on the monster and is interested in the the the, the I kind of wrote wrote down kind of character motivations from you've got science or you've got finance, you've got exploitation or you've got research, you've got as you said journalists or diplomats. And so it's almost like the, the the monster becomes this MacGuffin where you're not really interested in them. It's more about the people's reaction to the monster and what that kind of reveals about the human condition. Who wants to exploit the land? Who wants to kind of gain financially or economically from the... Um, and there's a lot going on in this film with that in mind, as you said, the spaces of exploitation versus the kind of primitive prim- primitive nativism of the, of the islanders. Um, so I think the film's doing a lot of work, and it's not that the monster is irrelevant, but it becomes this sort of, I don't know, 
narrative catalyst for a lot of more intricate and more nuanced sets of relationships, I thought. I think it can be enjoyed with both. I mean, yeah. I, I think, I mean, you're right. Mothra as an egg appears half an hour into the film. Yeah. Mothra as a caterpillar halfway through the film. Right, and then yeah. the final couple of acts is Mothra in full moth form. Um, that's not to say there's a huge amount of them. Um, there are other th threats and perils on the yes, way, and it's, it's certainly not. I don't think it's ever a dull film, and not, no, that's all no, you were no. saying at all. But um, and the, the, the beauty of the island, which there is a lot of time spent um, introducing the audience to and enveloping in, I think is very beautifully done. But yes, it does work. I mean, it is also a. It's not a talky film, but it's also a ver as in t overly talky. Yeah. And not those that it. It doesn't feel like a player or anything like that. But I think um, it's, it's, sometimes it functions as a comedy. Sometimes it functions as a political yeah. thriller. Sometimes yeah. it's it's there are all sorts of things going on that you can also enjoy, particularly in the first half of the film. Yeah. Definitely. But then that. But then that. Exactly that. It, the film therefore does some interesting things around. We talked about the the difference between revenge versus rampage, and and. It's an interesting narrative because often, and you get this a lot with kind of contemporary debates around race and, and, and um, particularly kind of, I guess, from the suffragettes through to, to Black Lives Matter, that, they, that there's a kind of angry young black man template or there's a... Because, because certain kinds of subjugated communities have had to, in order to have their voices heard, be reactionary, but then that gets defined as, well, a community being labelled as violent or angry just by virtue of the fact they're coming from a reaction, we put, they're having to react against certain kinds of structures. And so the reactionary, the otherness and orientalism are doing some interesting stuff in this in this film because you sort of, yeah, well you could argue that the princesses are, are sly and, you know, duplicitous, but actually that's part of, that you could argue that's part of how the how certain communities see see certain kind of behaviour when actually all they're doing is reacting to this the plundering of their land. But I guess there's also a very it's it's they're not they're kind of not unruly they're uncannily ruly like like they're, yeah they're, that's interesting it's their it's their, it's their politeness that seems <laughs> off off not their <coughs> lack of politeness of, of the two priestess yeah, 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 characters. Yeah. I mean the point I made earlier about them being a bit make being shrewd I suppose in evoking. I mean I agree with that as well. Yeah, like, yeah, I think yeah. that's exactly. But it's also because yeah. I don't think any viewers when they're watching it or I think they're doing the wrong thing. I don't think they're seen as sly and no, duplicitous at all. I think they are they are they are using their wiles to yes. get themselves out of an impossible situation. Situation, yeah. um, and I think everyone is on their side and against the evil uh, capitalist who exploits them. Um, I think no, we're definitely on the side of the caterpillar. Uh, the caterpillar. Yes. I wonder the characters in the. I'm trying to yes. think. Are the characters? Are any characters in the film? Do any of the characters in the film think that the princesses are sly? Because I think. If so, well, that if so, it's probably. But that's uh, a deliberate kind of the, thing. The that's Rusican. That, uh, uh, what's his name? Nelson, Nelson, yeah. Clark Nelson. Yeah. yeah. So, so that yeah. the Russican, you know, Nelson gangster capitalist figure who's who, who's also kind of well, I know the actor at least. I'm not sure what he's coded as in the movie, but the actor is half American, half Japanese who plays mm. him, right? Yep. yep. Uh, we can get onto that if we want to, but there's an interesting thing about that as yeah, well. Yeah. So I think, and then I think that the that character, I think his he he's the one who I don't I agree with you, Alex. I don't think the audience thinks of these princesses as, as sly and duplicitous and crafty and, and I think they're on the side definitely uh, I think the character of, of Nelson is a because he does think of them I think that's a kind of comment on how certain people perceive I think how certain people see reactionary behavior or see behavior reactionary behavior as violent or as duplicitous when actually it's just 
reactionary. I mean, I think what the Nelson character is really guilty of is really underestimating the the, the, the priestess characters. Uh, all the way through, they have quite a lot of agency, and though they are small in, in size, and they talk in unison, and they might fit some stereotypes for, for uh, but, I, but in general, they're very, they have quite a lot of agency. They are, they do succeed in um, convincing the good characters to leave the island and not uh, plunder it further. They mm -hmm. do save a man from uh, the, the dangerous plant, and uh, they, they, they go, they go along with this charrette, this ridiculous music well it's not ridiculous but this this slightly campy uh, music performance uh, but then they use it to their own ends mm. um, as, a, as a way of evoking Mothra in fact in some of the later films you find out they actually can continue their showbiz career so they obviously got a taste for the publicity so I think that's where some of the the prop the let's say the prejudicial behavior manifests itself from characters like Nelson in the film. It's yeah. that underestimating of uh, what's going on. No, I think, I, to point yeah. out something obvious that I'm not sure we've said yet, they're, they're one foot tall or, yes, or something like that. Yeah, that's important. Let's start the whole thing again, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, I, which is both like a, po like a pointless thing to point out and a very important thing to point out because, mm. because part of their ability to exploit them and, and to dominate them physically, all this sort of stuff, is their size, yes, right? You yeah, know, yeah, and, yeah. and the film is obsessed with characters who are smaller than they, smaller in small in stature and yet have devastating consequence, or large in stature and have and, and playing with you know scales being moved around and changed and altered for mm. devastating effect. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, I don't know. Just worth pointing out, obviously, because uh, and th th the film has a lot of fun of back to effects with with mm. with with that kind of you know lovely trickery of you know yeah. cages being massive and then small and yeah, and, uh, yeah. and and yeah all that kind yeah. of fun stuff. Yeah, because and I've definitely mentioned this on the podcast before, Laura. Mulvey's asking about kind of back projection um, and the kind of sub the sublime pleasure of kind of its clumsiness. So going back to your point, Alex, about kind of the laughing commentary and the, uh, haven't they dated? And it's like, well, no, that's that's sort of there's a there's a there's an enchantment here about all the magic of of dated effects, and mm. there are reasons why filmmakers like Tarantino play with kind of keep almost repel come up to the point of realism and then repel and actually preserve some quite clunky back projection because it's part of a, a kind of nostalgia but in this film you can see the the kind of yeah the superimpositions you know when they're coming because you can you can just see them coming the the sort of as you say the camera trickery of having these two um uh, characters 12 inch i'm gesturing now 12 inches tall uh, in a cage that are framed as spectacle within the film and i think again i think that's what i think it's important that you have characters who who have alternate motivations, but you have characters who want to exploit these two um, women. You have characters that think the two women are doing something insidious. You have a scientist, you have a journalist, you have, you have a broad range. As I said, I think the, the character relationships, I was expecting a lot less in terms of the character relationships in a film about a big monster, but, but, when actually it does a lot of really interesting work there. Uh, they're, they're, these films often have that kind of, I don't know, I don't know what the right phrase of it is, is that, that rhetoric, the character relationships are there and they are certainly front and centre in the first half or two thirds and and it's all tied up with this with this concurrent rhetoric of the kind of revelation of of the kaiju revelation of the of the gentle beasts or whatever the, mm. what, what's the translation did you say alex that's what strange beast strange, strange beast yeah. so revelation of the strange beast and 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 i think that's a really interesting thing to think about as well because because the audience has become well, I, you, as, as you appreciate these things as a genre, the audience becomes quite cued into that. And mm. there's a set of kind of odd contradictions then going in. And that like these, and like, you know, again, the film is about 
modernity and the problems of modernity and and what what capitalism can do to a culture both what the you know both yeah what the characters are doing to to more primitive cultures but also what america is doing to japan right and yet it's also a, a special effects you know laden blockbuster you know and i always think those are interesting contradictions there are lots of films about the how bad capitalism is made on massive and like we, so I, I'm interested in, in, in that what, it's hard to watch it as a, a viewer at the time but you know watching it as a viewer now almost the, the clunkiness of the special effects play into this kind of anti-capitalist rhetoric because I'm I'm expecting CGI and alternative but like there is a weird contradiction in these things between the the technical spectacle of the revelation of the monster that we're all signed up for it's called Mothra like we, we, we give us the moth you know yeah. and we want it and and that's what we're waiting for <laughs> we're kind of trudging through this first bit which is the allegorical substance of it all and the and the sophisticated character relationships and fine we'll watch that but in 45 minutes I want to see some I want to see an arm you know and there's that weird way those those two things are interloping. I think that's a really interesting idea, the idea that it's almost anti-capitalist to have this kind of, uh, the, the, the low-budgetness, let's say, well, compared to a slick Well, I don't know, I, I, I think that's probably reading quite a lot into well, it, Well, it's an right? interesting take. I mean, I think I have quite, because yeah, yeah, some of the things please. you both said are it's, really it's interesting, good, yeah, yeah. so... You're right, the, the withholding of the monster is quite a key part of it, and I think his genius is that these films still hold the interest all the way through, even mm. when the monster, or even a bit of the monster, like a tail or a wing or whatever, isn't shown <laughs> on screen. Um, that isn't always the case with the later yeah. kaiju films, which are often battles, as, you know, after, after King Kong versus Godzilla in 1963, also directed by Honda, then you get a lot of these monster rumble films where the audience knows what the monster looks like and they know whether the monster is good or bad. Godzilla turned good relatively early after about five or six films would be the hero that people would go and cheer for rather than care and dread of. And uh, would often appear quite early in the film. So that was some, So this idea of withholding the film, it's, it's there in the, almost the origin stories where right. you first meet Mothra, you first meet Rodan, you yeah. first meet Godzilla, yeah. and then it builds. Um, in terms of the, the special effects, I mean, Eiji uh, Tsuburaya, who did a lot of kaiju special effects, I think is has done some amazing work, actually. And I think and the, the, the miniatures you see in these films when they're being destroyed by the monsters, I mean, with Mothra, it's through the sheer force of her wing power. In other f uh, films, it's often because a big monster like Godzilla is just stomping on buildings, yeah. essentially. But they're beautifully done, beautifully crafted. And I think it depends on how the viewer, if the viewer wants to enjoy a film, and I think that's, only, I mean, this sounds a very basic thing to say, you should, if you're going to see a film, you should try and enjoy it. Like, you shouldn't go in there wanting to mock it, wanting to laugh at it, wanting to think it's rubbish. Mm. Um, if you go in with a benevolent mindset, which every viewer should, I think the special effects you just go with. Mm. I mean, I find this, with, and if you've seen more than a few kaiju, you know what to expect. I mean, the, the, the potential for laughter of seeing, I don't know, strings on a flying at a beast or a, a tear in a suit on a Godzilla, you get over that quite quickly, yeah. I think. And it's, but, um, um, but I'm also very interested in why there's that, why is that tendency there? Because is it, be oh, I can notice that that's a special effect. Well, I'm sorry, so I can do that in, a, in the recent, like, I know what CG, like, yeah. within about 90% accuracy, I know what a special effect yeah. and what isn't a special effect, whatever that means conceptually, in a, mm. in a, in a Marvel movie, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's more photo, is it more photorealist? It's, 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 it's more high tech. I'm not sure it's more, you know, how photorealist is a massive plasma explosion across the multiverse or whatever <laughs> else is happening in, in whatever the latest one is, you know? Yeah. So, so what, what is that tendency? Is it, is it, you know, is it a kind of, is, it, 
a, a historical superiority of like because because they're old. Yeah, um, and and not American, I and, suspect as well. And not American. Yeah, so you so less laughing at Harryhausen, less laughing at King yeah, Kong. Exactly, There's like a, Harryhausen. A respect for that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's a, that's a really good analogy, I think, because Harryhausen, you know, they're special effects, but they're beautiful, and you yeah. go with them because they're so wonderfully done. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think racism, unfortunately, is a big part of the reason why the Godzilla films or the kaiju films aren't respected as much as they should be in the West. I think um, there's a lot of... Whenever you have Jap um, aliens played by Japanese uh, actors, there's a lot of mockery about, ho, 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 these aliens all look like they're Japanese, mm -hmm. whereas people don't have that problem when it's wh white Westerners playing aliens. It's not... It's that, that, mm. that, that mockery isn't mm -hmm. there. I think... Um, what the the dubbing i mean i don't I, i've seen good up. yeah yeah <laughs> no, there, there is good dubbing and there is bad dubbing of yeah. these films and th if the dubbing is done cheaply and badly they are unwatchable you often have american western actors playing tr trying to do these faux japanese accents mm -hmm. in the dub which are excruciating that, and that's the ver the version on amazon has a bit of that right, right. now you know exactly right. so it's mad it's crazy that that's still i don't know where that dub was made but um I'd suggest Amazon revisit that because absolutely mm. it's full of you know mock accents and things like this. Yeah, and and this this doesn't really apply to Mothra, but certainly the Gamera films and a lot of some of the later Godzilla films that have children in them, you have clearly adult females trying to play little boys and putting on this weird affected voice that I've never heard a little boy talk like. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's 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 a problem too. So is that about the dynamics of power surrounding their initial releases and kind of? subsequent release in the next decades or so because this is about getting into securing an international distribution mm. so it probably means working with american internet distributors who are going to dictate the terms by which they can uh release these films so any you know um cultural hostility towards japanese culture which i suspect in late 1950s early 1960s is still pretty rampant you know mm. um you know it, it is going to create these issues in terms of how much respect you give to the original performances in the dub yeah. you know yeah. but also think you know we i don't know about this film but was the original godzilla right was they just just tossed away the live action yeah. footage and, and redid it with and it's like they made an American version out of it. Well, they kept the monster, but but or the kaiju, and get got rid of everything else. Exactly. They they kept a lot of. Them. I mean, the footage is still fantastic, even if it's in this American version. At least they got Raymond Burr in these these refilmed versions yeah. where he's playing the friend of the the Japanese main character. Not they interact much in the film, given they were shot separately. Yeah. Um, but, but you wouldn't you wouldn't do that with um with a kneeling comedy. Right, no, at the same no, time in no. American studio, they just release it, right? Well, you this know? is something you might probably know more than I do because the the only f I I very seldom encounter dubbed versions of films. It's actually quite unusual. Sometimes I'll buy what was an example? Like sometimes you get an old f a foreign language film that has a dub that isn't a, a Godzilla film. But sure. the films that I that Western audience might be used to seeing in dubbed form will be kaiju films or they'll be anime. Or and right. I, that is what's that is. I don't know much about anime, but I'm used to like I've seen Akira with uh, both the Japanese version and the English version. Uh, the English dub and the English dub version I heard of that actually isn't bad. It's um, compared to some of the dubs I've heard of the, the monster movies. And I think I, you, I don't know whether when you're watching these films, whether you watch them. I imagine you probably watch them in Japanese and English subtitles. But if, if you have watched if the available, dub, yeah, if available, I, I to, yeah. but I don't know whether the English language versions are 
okay or whether they are uh, an abomination that ruin your enjoyment of the film. With the kaiju, I think, as you say, there is this disrespect to the genre, which means that any you know that any jobbing actor will do who can do it. And I haven't heard that many good dubbed versions of these films, yeah. so I think that plays into that. So, does that you're showing the original? Oh, we're showing it in Japanese with English subtitles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so was that just a? Did did that require a conversation, or was that just you just decided to do that because of all the reasons you just said? Um, I think as a gem at the Barbican, we'd always show um, in the in subtitles unless it's unless it's for like a family film or something like that. We would tend to go for the subtitled version. It's it's interesting. I think I think just that that because you know one subtitles carry with them their own issues, don't they? In terms of who did the translation and how accurate Mm. is the translation. I know um, Mark Betts, who writes about kind of you know the politics. He writes about European art cinema, but about the the politics of subtitling versus dubbing. Mm. Uh, And and actually that you know there's no good there's no the best answer is to know the language right which is not available to everyone and is a um, not a good way of, of getting lots of people bums on seats for any cinema screening and not a good way to freely access an interesting movie but like there's always a problem isn't it in the sense that the subtitles mean you're, you're it's harder to, to focus on the visuals because you're mm. constantly going back down to the screen you've got the issue of translation uh, the, you know whilst a, a dub can in many ways work but it cuts off some other you know there, there are there are there are problems with both right and and so um you know, is is it is it a toss up more in the, in that context? Yeah, you know? I mean, do you I have thoughts on that? At no, all? well, I don't want to be a snob. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, for me, the reason I want to see it in subtitles is I, I respond. I want to hear the actors acting on their own terms. Yeah, I want yeah, to hear the voice fair. they do, rather than someone who's never met these actors interpreting it based on a you know a version of the film they've seen. Yeah. Um, and I think you know, I, subtitle. I mean, I'm very used to subtitles. I mean, I've been watching subtitle films since I was a teenager, and I think a really good film. And I do believe this, is you forget the subtitles. Yeah. You just, it, it manages to immerse you so much that um, I don't find that the extra chore. Um, it's something you kind of have to train yourself in a bit. I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's good to start young and get used to this. Mm. Um, but no, I've, I mean, I've seen dubbed films um, in my time and it's not, and um, it's often, as you say, it's often anime and if it's done well and sensitively, I mean, sometimes you get uh, celebrity actors doing the voices who are very trained in this kind of, I mean, I prefer it when it's someone who's actually a trained voice actor rather than, Bussing in a Hollywood actor, but oh, um, but it's that, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's okay. you know everyone likes what they like. Yeah, it's <laughs> interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but that that's another barrier for these films to to then get over. We talk about the politics of international distribution and why Mothra might have you know why it might be very tempting for audiences to come along. And I and, and expect to approach it from the kind of position of camp or kitsch or like I'm going to enjoy this by laughing at it mm. um, because because and it's not even necessarily the film's fault it's the way the film has been mediated throughout international film history as this yeah. throwaway B movie because it's Japan you know you mm. know Japanese you know I'm putting quotation marks of course I mean know? I think with Mothra because I, I think some of the criticisms about you know it, with that the, the, the la- that people laugh at them I'm not sure there's much there in Mothra that's funny I think it's uh, I think some of the later um, Godzilla films would you beg to differ on no that, well, I think if there is it's intended yes like, exactly like, like, it's they're a witty comment, film yeah, I agree yeah, 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 yes yeah. exactly um, but I don't think you think oh this is this is just ridiculously inept ho 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 the, in the way that you might the do the journalist with one of the, the, the yeah. journalist yeah. yes it's got to be a kind of comic relief because he manages to get himself into some situations where he could never possibly and, yeah, and I'm sorry, the bit where Mothra goes into a cocoon mm. and they fire all the 
you know, they, they explode it and there's all these like, we've destroyed the beast, we haven't confirmed it just yet, but don't you worry, it's going to be fine. And the gangsters go, oh, it's going to be fine, let's just switch off the radio and cheer. Like, that has got to have a parod, like, you know, it, it, we're talking about the rhetoric of re revelation. Like, mm. we all know what's about to happen. Yeah. And the fact that they overreg it so much has got to be, it's got to be kind of self-consciously there. Yeah, I was knowing. laughing when it was happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. knowing, it's knowing. But it's not the ineptness that makes you laugh in the same way that, I don't know, one of the, some of the mid-70s Godzilla films are quite tough to watch I think okay. in terms of quality um, and the, uh, the, the, the let's say the care that's gone into some of the action sequences with the monsters okay, yeah. um, but no I think Mothra and, I, and again the special effects I think are actually very good in this I think Mothra moves with a great deal of grace it's very beautiful the way the wings work and uh, and such right. like so yeah, yeah. I was thinking about the, the kind of Holly, the, as you said the Hollywood it's difficult to watch a film uh, that is anti-capitalist when it's glossy and shiny, that sort of contradiction. Mm. I was thinking about uh, if, if the, the, the princesses are taken from the island and displayed, they are displayed in the tree, we talked about the kind of the, the, the stage presentation of these magical fairies um, as part of this show that culminates King Kong, but here is kind of dealt with within the first 20 minutes because actually what the film is interested in is the repercussions of that. Mm. It's, you know, that it's the what would be really great is if at the end of King Kong you have an extra kind of 20 minutes where it, there is a kind of, yeah, that's interesting that we're kind of, we're having this this presentation of this, the other, the presentation of the other, again, that, that writing around Orientalism has talked about this archaeological function where you kind of, uh, colonizers go and take things, and of course in this case bring it back and mm. put it in the British Museum. But um, there's, a, there's a way of reading the film as doing the same thing because it's taking the spectacle of the other and presenting it and I think the problem with stuff like Godzilla is that you inevitably have the Hollywood versions to compare against. So you have the glossy versions, you have, and, and, and funny enough, as we were talking about Godzilla, I'd forgotten that one of my groups this year in one of my modules talked about kind of Orientalism in terms of remake culture and the relationship mm. between the Hollywood remakes that are often criticised as inferior, whilst at the same time their effects being, or effects budgets being through the roof. So they are, often denigrated and, and I remember the one of the groups talked about that Godzilla exactly that how how these films move across different boundaries either as in the original form and of course dubbing is part of that how they are edited to remove any kind of national sp cultural specificity how they are as you said in the Raymond but kind of totally re redone mm. you have these remakes that are transplanting all this specificity from the original out into we're now going to set it in you know Manhattan or something yeah. so in the case of Godzilla, which, as you said, has continually been mediated and moved through time and, and has been a really popular text, uh, I guess I'm interested in, in an audience now watching this film. You are inevitably, something like Mothra, something like the original Godzilla, you are going to watch them going, well, they are now very much of their time because of these Hollywood... And I think the remake culture hasn't helped that. Hollywood's tendency to take these amazing stories, re redo them, throw money at them, Make them into these big. So the first Godzilla is 98, 1998, and then there's a, and then there's about three or four new ones since then, yeah. combining it with King, you know, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and all this sort of stuff. So I feel like there's Godzilla is, is sort of fair game for having some of these distinctions, and it feels like Mothra hasn't been taken 
hasn't been adapted in Hollywood in this way, and and that is part of its pleasure that it's been preserved so, in its original context, or, or have there been versions? Yes, yeah. I mean, I mean, she has or appeared. She, she's appeared in um, Godzilla: King of the Monsters as one of the kind of supporting yeah. acts alongside right, Rodan. Right. Um, one thing, one thing, just to add to your point about uh, the disrespect afforded these films by the West is there would often be a bridged cut um, for a TV audience as well. I think some of them would lose half an hour really? in their way to be, right, and, right. and they were shown in children's TV slots. All wow. sorts of kind of um, bastardizations. Because they're, they're partly animated or something, or because they are <laughs> fantasy, pure fantasy. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, really interesting. Are we? Oh, I'm just because I don't know. Is this film a this, is this film a low budget movie or is or are we just historicising? Yeah, I think you know, that, I that's think interesting. It, yeah. it is like in terms of the Japanese film industry, I assume it's pretty it's pretty yeah. good budget, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm comparing it with Hollywood, but it's in, no, in, sure, in terms of but, yeah, in terms of the world. No, 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 yeah, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in, 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 to speak to these these conversations, and I think that. Um, I mean, even the most recent Godzilla films, which I don't like as much as some of the critics do, I think they're fine. I think the King Kong ones are slightly better, but the, and the King Kong versus Godzilla one, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of, the very recent one. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think those special effects will, will date very badly in some cases. There's a lot of action that takes place in the dark. You don't see the whole monster in a lot of the scenes. Often, I think there's a few fights that happen in the rain, so you're trying to peer through this murk of what's <laughs> going on. Um, whereas Mothra, it's all daytime, it's day glow, it's colourful. Yeah, you said it's very and open and very sort of an outdoorsy mm. film. Yeah, exactly. That's why yeah. I think it would work really well. I hope it would work very well yeah. as the outdoors. Show outdoors. Show <laughs> outdoors in the barbican in August. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, tickets not available. But it's, uh, <laughs> very good. But no, it's, um, yeah, that, that, that's my take on it really. And in terms of the special effects, yes, I, I think more money doesn't mean better. So, so I, think that's, I think that's this point I'm struggling to try and make, which is that I think the historicised implied spectator of this movie is supposed to marvel at the special effects on screen. Mm. And, I, and I, I, I did, but for all the caveats that we've thrown at it, you know, one can recognise now that it's, that it's of its time in that respect, I guess. Um, but, but I think that's the contradiction I'm, I'm trying to tease out here in that they seem to rely on this display of modernity, this display of capitalist ingenuity and, and entrepreneurship on the screen mm. whilst making these kind of anti-modern, anti-capitalist fables. And that contradiction seems to be embedded within the very generic framework of these these kind of texts, and it's not just—it's not just the specific kaiju sort of Japanese. Like there just seems to, there just seems to be a, a way of us reconciling these mm. kind of movies in popular culture. Let's make the day after tomorrow using massive computers, you know, mm. like about about nature, you know, doing things like that. Let's make Jurassic Park a story about the 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 problem of science and scientific innovation. That's also the first movie to feature CGI. You know, there's there's this there's this Avatar. What is the carbon footprint of Avatar? Whilst it tells you how much it loves yes. the organic, like a film about the the beauty of the organic world that has no mm. organicness to it whatsoever, right? Mm -hmm. is, is is it because for these things to work, we need we need the kind of the, the salt to our caramel. We need we need a bit of a bit of of of, of anti-capitalist rhetoric to frame this absolute display of wealth that is definitely happening on screen, you know, even in this movie at, at the time, right? Mm. That's an interesting yeah, point. I don't know. I don't yeah, 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 yeah. My, my, so my thought on that is is that whenever you have these monsters attacking, they don't attack like a wheat field. 
It's or a church. No, it's the city. Yeah. Well, it's, it's quite suburban. The, the a lot of the attacks, at least in Japan, the attacks. Right. They keep another thing. They keep playing with this kind of rhetoric of you know what's going to happen. Well, we know a city is going to get destroyed, and we know a monster. And it has to be appear. a city, though. And and they keep saying they're coming for Tokyo. They're coming for Tokyo. Mm. They're coming, and they're and they're echoing Godzilla, and they're echoing you know the atom the, the the real fit you know the atomic bomb which obviously never hits tokyo but that was mm. the you know that's the, the the great never happened uh nightmare right so which is what godzilla is evoking and then this film is evoking kind of generically and then it and then it I, I almost parodically again almost subversively part of its rhetoric is to go a quick switch oh no we're not going to attack um uh we're not going to attack tokyo we're going to attack new york or whatever mm. they, they call mm. it in this film yeah. and i wonder if that's got a you know if we're talking about these this politics of rhetoric and things like that how dare you take our godzilla and, and set it in and, fr and set it in uh, in your cities we're gonna we're gonna send mothra over to blow yeah. yours up you know well there's, there's funny enough there's one of the i can't remember which one i think it might be tokyo sos there was one of the later godzilla films i think of the new millennium where he fights sort of earlier iterations of uh, of other monsters including the 1990s godzilla in hollywood <laughs> and he is destroyed in seconds like it's like there's no match the japanese godzilla just Boom. Yeah, <laughs> it's done. Yeah, yeah. Good for them. Um, it's because CGI has no materiality, so it's easily So it can be pushed over by just a man unplugged. with a suit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just unplugged and deleted, whereas you've got to get rid of all these you know, tangible costumes. That's a bit more, <laughs> a bit more effort. Sorry. No, I mean, just two more <coughs> things to touch on what you mentioned. One is, just very briefly, is when you said it's hot, people say these films are of their time. There's no such thing as a film that isn't of its time. I mean, Citizen yeah, yeah. Kane's of its time. And I, th I, and I think with this film, some of the themes are still very resonant. Mm -hmm. And yes, there are things that are dated about it, but that... I think dated isn't, isn't a bad thing for a film to be, as long as it's, I mean, obviously, when it's depictions of the edition yeah. as peoples of uh, Infant Island, it's a different matter. But sure. That's another barrier to sort of really accessing these texts that make the desire to kind of titter at the special effects much more mm. uh, tempting, because you feel like you could control the text that way, right? When these films are actually really interesting, because you feel like you're getting about 40% of them when you're watching them, and you, what you want to be sort of in in the space where mm. these films were first made because it's a really interesting space to be in and, mm. and and maybe there's that desire to kind of push yourself away or push the text away for exactly these kind of spiky mm. things so that we that I've access. not thought about the tittering at this film versus not tittering at Harryhausen yeah, yeah. Or, yeah or King Kong or like but, yeah, but what yeah, that yeah. means about sort of I'll say it kind of white white skill to create these intricate Harryhausen-esque models and he's held up as this pioneer of stop motion versus a, a film like um, Mothra or the Godzilla films where the, the Japanese are kind of just making do. They're just mm. making do to try and create these monsters and yeah, we can kind of see the seams and quite clearly it's plastic and look there, the wire's there, mm. but we don't, we don't laugh at the same, in the same way and, and, and that's a tr kind of a troubling distinction perhaps that, and, and perhaps feeds into a really interesting, let's say, racialized, potentially gendered in, in some cases, way of thinking about the connoisseurship of special effects. But that's I think, interesting. Well, I think Mothra is an unusual kaiju as well, and that it isn't a man in a suit. No. Uh, and I think there is a sort of, there is something that some people find inherently ridiculous about that, no matter how yeah, well yeah. The, the, the costume is designed, or how talented yeah. the man in the suit is at enacting a monster sure. uh, rampaging Tokyo. It's just, yeah. there is that automatic disrespect when you're interpreting this. Yeah. Mothra is actually created in a different way. It's, um, it's And then 50 years later, we get motion capture and they know they are actors they're not it's not ridiculous at all to have dots on your head mm. yeah, don't worry Andy Circus yeah they're that, still that the performer so <laughs> there is a really problematic that's a good point yeah uh, mm. othering going on with these films 
not just in the themes that they present or the clunkiness of their effects, but kind of the production cultures that surround a film, the, the ridiculousness of someone in a suit or just from their legs down. Mm. And there's also an issue of fantasy. Stop it, you. <laughs> do, do a shot, <laughs> listeners, if you're waiting. You know? <laughs> um, which, is, which is that different cultures have different um, attitudes towards aesthetic realism and what aesthetic realism means and what realism means. And, um, you know, we... We, we mainly talk from an Anglophonic North American, you know, American Western European stance because that's our upbringing and our kind of cultural baggage on this pro on this show. Um, and you know, the rhetoric is uh, con is is convinced me through visual rhetoric yeah. of, of the believability of this mm. of this story. That's what we expect when we talk about realistic. Oh, it was so realistic. Realistic is good. Whether it's so fantastical, convince me through a, a register of realism, mm. and then I will like it. You yeah. know, and that stems from you know a history of aesthetics. You know, going mm. right back to like Aristotle, right? In in, in the Western context, mm. other cultures don't have this kind of baggage. So oh, that means other yeah. cultures have a different relationship to special effects, and that means other cultures will produce different types of specialness uh, on screen, right? Yeah, yeah. No, and no. and we're and by going that doesn't fit with our register. We are we are we are dismissing that ability for different multicultural yeah. forms yeah. of special mm -hmm. effects reception. Mm -hmm. to, to if only there was a Japanese term to describe imperfection or you know something like wabi sabi, just something like that, where you're sort of the, the embracing of imp and often imperfection or imperfect aesthetics are, are, are a value or a virtue of. of Counterproductions or or writers that talked about imp imperfect cinema, this sort of reactionary resistant cinema, and Japanese culture as, as a as a culture interested in imperfection, mm. actually working through and thinking about life in transience or life as, mm. as imperfect and and appreciating beauty that is actually imperfect. So who's to say? The what we consider clunkiness is actually the perfect manifestation of this sort of. Yeah. wabby-sabby, imperfect way of thinking about art and culture and aesthetics and, and realism as a set of... Realism is only ever a set of conventions that changes over time. Sure. So. I've noticed we're, run, we're running short to time, so do we have any other... Anything we want Juicy to bits of <coughs> notes that we have to um, yeah, deal with like from, to... from Mothra and then we'll talk about um, things. Do we have sure. anything else from the notes? I, I'm, I think I'm done. I'd like, I'd like to say one thing, actually. Yeah. Um, this is touching on what you were saying earlier about how the audience would have reacted to this, is who the audience of this film was. Yes, let's talk about that. So th this film was made in part to appeal to uh, the majority of Japanese cinema goers, which were women. And the earlier kaiju films where there have been great successes are very dominated by the male characters, both the monsters and the, uh, the human characters. And with Mothra, uh, a lot of strong female characters. Obviously, there's Mothra herself, but there's the two priestesses and uh, the main female character, the journalist as well, who has a bit of comic relief at the end when she realises she hasn't photographed any of the exciting action that's gone on. And I think that's right. There'll be about ten other films. Ten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> it's quite exactly. <laughs> she'll, she'll have a lot of uh, opportunity <laughs> over the next five decades. Um, <laughs> And this is, uh, and this speaks to why Mothra, I think, um, it just really stands out as a very different type of kaiju. And Mothra, this is the, by no means the last Mothra film. In 1964, she was in Mothra vs. Godzilla, which is one of the very best Godzilla films. It's much more Mothra's story than it is Godzilla's. Um, and I think one of the other key things, interesting things about Mothra is, is the way she fights. Is I mean, sometimes the moth dies in the film and is then resurrected again as the caterpillars and it's the caterpillars that destroy in like Godzilla by um, well I won't spoil how they how they do it because I don't want to spoil anything um, and sometimes Mothra 
runs away. <laughs> when she realises she's being defeated, she'll fly away and come back and fight back stronger, which isn't what you get with some of the other ones. There's a lot more complexity and interest going on, I think, behind uh, the, <laughs> yeah. the mothy exterior of Mothra, and that makes her very interesting. And I think it speaks to the weird... I mean, a lot of her fans... I mean, Martin Scorsese loves this film. Guillermo del Toro loves this film. It's uh, a film that has a great deal of cross-appeal. Yeah. But I think there is a sort of... The feminine aspects of Mothra, I think, are, are very interesting as well. And you nothing about that aspect of the reception. You know, really, mm. yeah, it's really interesting. And yeah, mm. we, we, should, we we do a whole thing on that, but we won't. Um, <laughs> so yes, uh, Alex. So if, if listeners have not seen Mothra either recently or at all, um, they can come. I believe to the Barbican. Is it? Uh, yeah. When is it again? Remind <laughs> us one more time. So the outdoor cinema screenings are taking place between Tuesday the 23rd and Sunday the 28th of August and the screening of Mothra is on Wednesday the 24th um, at 8.30pm in our sculpture court. Smash it. Be there or be a... Be a kaiju. Cocoon. <laughs> <laughs> um, absolutely, yes. Okay, well, great. And people can just buy that on the Barbican website. Absolutely, yeah. barbican.org.uk. Cool. Um, great. And do you have any other... Do you, do you have any... Do you, have you written anything on this? Or is there anything out there in the world that people could find if they wanted to read more about kaiju cinema or anything like that? Well, I think the books and any writings you can um, track down by Steve Rifle and Ed Godjeshevsky are uh, very invaluable. And there are amazing commentaries that these two men have done as well on um, some of the ones that are available. Okay. Um, I wrote a review of... Mothra for Sight and Sound, if you can track that oh, down. Yeah. Oh, um, we'll track track it so, down. yes, it's um, an Stick it in the uh, show notes, uh, Chris, <laughs> and we, people can read yeah. it. Oh, yeah, fantastic. So, Terrific. yeah, there's a lot out there. But, um, but I, I still think that British audiences uh, are deprived of seeing these films on the big screen. So, I hope this will, in part, remedy Absolutely. that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a big it's a big screen movie. Absolutely. I mean, they're, all movies are big screen movies, but this is a big screen movie. Yeah. <laughs> Alex, sure. thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. No, 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 absolutely. And you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fananim Research, F A N A N I M Research, and Fananim Research at gmail.com as well. We'll uh, get us in touch with us and we can uh, talk about anything you want for a future footnote episode. Do you want to talk about more kaiju? Um, monster, some, movies, uh, monster movies, yeah, blockbuster. Any suggestions, let us know and we'll try to um, cover them in the next uh, recording schedule. Otherwise, uh, fancy-animation.org, there's probably some stuff on. on yeah, we've got a couple of um, pieces on Godzilla actually. Um, Steve Rawls written a piece on, on Godzilla. And and um, kind of, there are a couple of shots actually in, in the posts of of the performers with the Godzilla Great. sort of trousers and suits on. So <laughs> yeah, type in I think type in monsters and you'll get you'll get our content. Otherwise, uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Bye. <laughs>